Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Fundamental Frank here on a Sunday afternoon giving you an update on what's going on. Mike is recovering from being out on the range yesterday. Colorado was probably, well, here in Denver, it was 15 degrees, snowing. We got about three to five inches of snow. The Pawnee match, the local one that we did the podcast from, and I think it was episode two, Mike went there, Dan Hansen, Adam Rahor, all the guys from Mile High, they were up there, and they shot the match. 15 degrees, the snow, the whole thing. They were out there checking stuff, testing, doing exactly what we talked about, okay? These were guys putting into practice the things we mention every day. I was here, I was doing some uh, homework and things like that, so I didn't go up to the range. I was out on the range on Thursday, Windy conditions. Some of you guys may have saw the uh, crayons that I had, um, but we'll talk about that in a minute. It's pretty funny. I'm going to end up making a meme out of that guy with the the reloading crayons. Uh, It was pretty funny. But I want to get back to these guys out at the range. Um, We're having a discussion on Sniper's Hide right now about the production class for the PRS and entry-level guys and who's what and who's another thing. And... I want to tell you the most valuable thing you can do is shoot these local matches. Can't tell you how much you're going to gain just going out there. Doesn't matter if you know anybody or not. Go shoot these local matches. And to the whiners who think 40, 50 bucks is too expensive. Come on, dude. It's 40, 50 bucks. Nobody says you have to shoot four matches a month and bring the whole family and do all this thing. Pick and choose your battles. But there's expenses with this stuff. I mean, I get it. You know, they got matches out there that charge $5, $10, whatever the case may be. Yes, there are cheaper matches out there. But the market is managing $40, $50. You spend $250 on up for a two-day match with a 200-shot round count. $50 for a match with 75 to 100 rounds is a bargain to what you learn, what you gain, don't sweat it. Put it into your budget. A one once a month match is money. If you have to spend, you know, whatever, hey man, that's cost of doing business with this stuff. You know, I drive an hour and a half each way to go shoot the local match. It is what it is, man. I mean, it's all cost of doing business. Precision rifle is not cheap. The setup time alone, you lose money because your 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 billing rate for work ends up being, you know, 10 cents an hour. So, I mean, stop complaining about the local matches. There's a ton of them. Go pick and choose whichever one you want. But guys, get out and support these local matches. That's where the money is. Another question came in with somebody asking about uh, shooting PRS events for their first time. NRL, PRS, doesn't matter. And hey, am I going to be competitive? No, you're not. Right out of the bat, dude. Nobody out there who's new coming in with a Ruger, a Savage, or whatever the case may be, is going to be competitive. The guys that are competitive usually have like a mentor. Somebody works them up ahead of time. You know, when you see a new guy who's a bit of a phenom, who's showing up and kind of lighting the world on fire, usually there's a background and a history there. But the idea that you'll go out to these matches and you'll do really, really well That's an anomaly in a lot of ways. When you think about it, there's really only like 50 people in the PRS that are talked about as the top guys, but there's 1,500 registered members, give or take, you know, so you're only seeing a small percentage of this. 
A lot of people don't do that well. Use a match to validate your training. Use a match to gauge your own growth. Don't go there thinking you're going to light the place on fire. Heck, I don't even recommend you paying your money to the series until you know you're established. I mean, if you shot five matches for a full year, don't pay. The matches are individual. The series doesn't control who can shoot it and who can't. So you don't have to be a member to shoot these things. And that's part of the discussion that we're having. You know, all they're really doing is keeping your score. You can you can get the score, download it from the match director. They usually put it on a website. You can keep this score. You can go back and shoot one or two matches and compare your percentage to the other thing. The, the, the problem I have with a lot of these series is they don't rank the shooters very well. It, it doesn't do a good job of showing you where you establish. You need that sort of percentage-based ranking. You need to see where you fit in and how you improve. But you could do that on your own, man. Create your own spreadsheet. Go shoot some local matches and gauge yourself to the competition and see what you're going to do. But don't think, you know, I, I have XYZ rifle I just got. It's 6.5 Creedmoor. I'm going to shoot hand-loaded 140s. What am I going to do? Not very well. It's a commitment to shoot these matches well. That's why a lot of these guys complain. A lot of these guys are spending so much money. Those top guys that are doing well are probably spending in the $25,000 range for a season to compete in these series, okay? You don't need to make that kind of financial commitment. Shoot the local stuff. If you're going to travel to a big match, pick those big bucket list matches and go from there, okay? Like I said, don't, don't think you have to do something because the pack is doing that. You don't have to support the top guys Just support the match director. Go support the match. Go there, pay your money, do your deal, and leave. Gauge your own progression, and then you can take it from there. That's my advice to a lot of these guys. But good on everybody for uh, shooting that match this weekend, man. It was cold and snowing. They they looked cold. I'm sure it took them a while to thaw, thaw out. And it definitely looked cold out there. So that's the kind of stuff that I love to see, man, that they, they jumped out there and they're doing it. They're seeing how their equipment works under these conditions. And that's what I don't like when you get sort of fair weather shooters who say, well, you know, this is the greatest thing ever. And, you know, I go out when it's 80 degrees. I spend two hours on the range and oh boy, my stuff works great. Why are you complaining? I mean, it just happened today. My, my lab radar, okay, back, we're going to back up here. I did the load development on Thursday, and I had one of the very first lab radars out there. I paid full boat for it, didn't get it a deal, nothing like that. I got it early, though. They probably saw my name, and I was one of the first ones, okay, so no, no big deal. Well, I, I, I've, it, it's been back, it needs to go back a second time now, but it's been back the first time because I was changing the batteries and out on our range, we have a thing called wind, okay? I have wind on my range, go figure. So I'm changing the batteries and I'm on the back of my SUV and I have the unit just off to the side and I'm getting my batteries out. Gust of wind comes up, moves this unit because it's so light it sort of lifted and slid it off the back and it dropped just straight down off the back of the SUV, hit the dirt and fell over. It broke. Okay, sent it back, $35 to fix it. 
all good. Well, with this latest firmware update, and somebody actually contacted me about the firmware, it just hasn't been right. And, and I'm not a big fan with it. It, 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 was, it was starting to get annoying. Well, I used it over the summer with a class, and I had a student there. On, it's on my tripod. We just chronographed his stuff. So now I go to move it out of the way. I take it, and I just move it over like three feet to the side to get it out of the way. 18 plus mile an hour gust comes up, thing catches the wind like a sail, it falls over off the tripod. It, it's, it's less than a 12 inch fall and it breaks again. Now, if I kind of rattle it around a little bit, I pulled the batteries, restarted. I actually did a factory reset on it, went through and did everything else and it'll work, not work, work, not work. It, it's got to go back. I just haven't done it but I wanted to use it for this load development that I'm doing Thursday. Well, it's acting funny. It's picking up the wind. It's doing all this stuff, and it's really just annoying as hell. I had a backup chronograph, one of those super crony acoustic ones in front of the rifle, so I get backup numbers, and I needed them. I needed that backup chronograph. Now, here's the thing with the magneto speed. I am a much bigger fan of the magneto speed. Love it. The problem is, is I cut my barrels back a bit and you can't fit the magneto speed between the handguard and the suppressor. So I have to have my suppressor on in order for this thing to work. Okay, no big deal. But then I put these suppressor covers on that now need to be cinched really, really tight so they don't fly off. I don't like taking them on and off. I need to kind of resolve that to a different cover or something. But the covers don't let the magneto speed sit flat and then give you a good bayonet for the bullet to you know, fly over. So I kind of forego the magneto for that thing. I'm, I'm being a bit lazy and I figure, well, the way I have my load development set up, and if you saw the picture of the crayons and the colors and the whole thing, the colors and crayons signify a spec, charge weight, seating depth, etc. All I have to do is shoot a group with that color, go to the next color, shoot a group, go to the next color, shoot a group, and then say pink was the winner. Pink was the right velocity, pink's the right SD, pink's the right S accuracy that I want. That's my load. And I can go off and Andrew McCourt does my loads in bulk. Uh, you know, he's a great guy, F-class guy, awesome reloader. And I just don't have time. I'm not, I, I'll do a, a certain amount of reloading, but I do, I'm just enough to be dangerous and get me where I need to go. But when it comes time for bulk, I usually don't do it. The only time I do it is like the Warner tools and the flat line, you know, solids and things like that I'm, that I'm doing small batches, 50 rounds or so. Then I do them, no big deal. And I have no problem doing it. I like reloading to a certain degree, but I don't like sitting out there for four hours in the cold. It's out in my garage. It's not heated. You know, I'm not a big fan of it, but I, I like the, the technical aspect of it. So we work up this load with Andrew, and then we go and I say, Andrew, pink was the right one. And let me tell you what, he does a 10 times better job than I'm going to do. He's going to anneal. He's going to do all this stuff. His SDs are always single digit. It works. It's a good system for me and what I'm doing. Copper Creek does a similar thing. You can do their load development. Then they'll create a load for you. This is not an uncommon thing. It's sort of how some stuff works out there. 
Guys who save money, you know, you know, they'll do it themselves. I get that. I'll send Andrew components to save a little money so he doesn't have to do it. Then it's just labor for me. But that's how I do it. And it's easy. All I have to do is shoot, pick a color. I'm good. With the 300 Norma, 230 grain pills, I got 29.97. SD is 7. Accuracy was one hole. I had the wind blew the target and made it look ugly, so I didn't post a picture because one round went out, and it was when the wind blew the target. And you, you say that to somebody, and they're, oh, okay, whatever. So I just didn't even bother posting pictures of it. But I had some really good groups, and you know this is not uncommon for Andrew McCourt's stuff. So now people are posting online, hey man, you know, the Labrador is a bit of a wind sale. This is the second time I broke it. If I rattle it, shake it, reset it, it works. And it, but it doesn't work all the way through. Cause like, here the wind gusts. I'm behind the rifle getting ready to shoot. The thing goes off. The radar triggers 1,200 feet per second, 1,800 feet per second, 1,200 feet per second, 1,900 feet per second. It's, and you got to get off behind the rifle, hit the button. Get off behind the rifle, hit the button, and reset it. Annoys the hell out of me. Okay? I didn't break it. The thing, the wind knocked it over. It needs to be a field device. You know, they got that lab, you know, like laboratory in front of Labradar. Guys, if you're listening, it has to be able to withstand the field stuff. You know, one of the guys posting on there, who I think is listening, is talking about he lives in Wyoming. Those guys use a chain for the wind flag. Just, I think it was like last week, two weeks ago, a windstorm came up. It knocked seven tractor trailers over in Wyoming, okay? It blew them over. So what do you think a lab radar is going to do like a big wind sail in the wind? When it catches the wind right, it falls over. If that tiny little fall will break it, it's not field worthy. I dig it. Love the concept. I, I, I stick with it. I've been sticking with it since the day one, but I'm done, man. I'm going to go to the two-box crony system again. I got that working well. I just got to charge it back up and everything's good. But that's kind of where I'm at with, with when I'm saying, you know, some of this stuff needs to be real world. It needs to be life experience kind of stuff and not something that on paper is the winner. And I have another tie-in with the podcast, my G1 versus G7 rant. I got guys posting stuff on Sniper's Hide, and, and this is great validation, I dig it, that, hey, you know, they listened to what I had to say, and they're, they're saying that, you know, your information's correct. I've had guys vet my numbers I've thrown out, not only here, but in videos, but I'm going to, let me see if I can find this. Uh, I think it's under this exterior ballistics. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to read you this that uh, one of the guys wrote, sort of like light bulb. And it says, this post couldn't come at a better time. The other day I was shooting my Gap 10 with Hornaday 140 ELDMs. I was building my dope in my ballistic software. I use Ballistic AE, by the way. I was using G7 Jag model because, and he quotes, I thought that was more correct. I wasn't getting the numbers in the software to line up with what I was seeing in real life. Real life. If it was on at the 400, it wasn't on at 1,000. I was adjusting my muzzle velocity to try to get things to line up, but that wasn't getting me there either. I'm a big believer in actually shooting my gun, not just playing with the ballistic apps. Little smiley face. But 
I am the first to admit that I don't understand uh, there is out there with the software. I'm a shooter, competitor, not a computer guy. Anyway, I started adjusting the BC, the drag model. And presto, there it was. The app was giving me output that matched what I was seeing on target. The G1 was where I ended up. I shot 600, 700, 800, 1,000, 1,200, all on, all hits. Using the exact come-ups my app put out. But I didn't know why. I just knew I was getting somewhere. I see that I was adjusting the BC to match the real-world observations. That was a light bulb moment. Thanks for explaining why. And this it goes back to that G1 versus G7 rant. Uh, truing the BC gave me better info than truing the velocity. Then the next poster comes in and, and it's Lash. I actually shot with Lash uh, during the Gap Pro-Am. The first one, I think it was, he and I were partners. And he goes, first of all, I had to laugh reading this. Having multiple grandsons, I've seen Despicable Me a few times. There's an expression light bulb used to good comedic effect. Secondly, I was gathering dope on my new load for my 260 yesterday uh, this was posted today. And using the same 136 grain CNRL that I've been shooting quite successfully out to 1200. My numbers were off quite a bit starting at 600 and out. I was pushing this round at 2750 using the published G7BC and ballistic predicted uh, things spot on. Now pushing it just 75 feet per second faster, the G7 was way off. I spent a little time working with different BCs and found the perfect curve fit using a slightly elevated G1 BC over the published values. Light bulb, I guess there's always an opportunity to learn and improve if you give yourself a chance. That's my point. Just because you read it in a book, just because you saw it online, doesn't mean that's the way it has to go. Don't get stuck in a box. Experiment. Try. Our rifles are a system. If this guy took his system out and shot his information over a certain distance under certain conditions under with his certain rifle setup as a certain type shooter, that's going to work for him. You have to tweak this stuff for you. What we're giving you is really just a starting point. It's really just to say, begin here. You know, you got to go back two years ago when we were shooting with no software or anything, when manufacturers were giving you drop data in inches, you can get a published piece of data that says, this is your inches drop to X number of yards. That information was there just to get you started because what you would do is you would go out to your local range, which probably had those six foot square NRA targets. That information would get you somewhere on that six foot square then they knew you were going to fine-tune your adjustment to the X-ring and write the X-ring number down and move on. Nobody looked at a manufacturer drop data back in the 70s and 80s and said, that's the number I have to use. That's the way it has to be. You knew that was a starting point. What we're trying to do is give you some best practices, but to open your mind up and to say, hey, man, this is not the end-all, be-all. This formulas have adjusted. This drag model doesn't fit. It was meant for artillery. It was meant for a specific design that's not quite this, but not quite that. And we're shooting a whole bunch of different stuff nowadays. Our lands and grooves are different. You know, our powders are different. Our barrels are different. All this stuff is different today. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. So 
take it there and, and understand that what we're giving you hopefully is some best practices, but what we're giving you more importantly is an open mind is to say, you know, he told me to do that or I read to do that online, but it didn't work. So if I try this and it works, go with it because that's the real world. And that's what we're talking about here. Funny how this stuff's not so black and white, you know, it, it, it's, it's not. I kind of look at me as being that, that, that caveat, you know, to all the, the things I said they didn't put the bombs, you know, the, the, the ballistics for dummy in the, in the caveat out there. Frank's your caveat. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. I, I'm, I'm a fan of all this stuff. I continue to, to, to experiment. I don't close my mind to it, but I, I also don't just take what they tell me for granted. You know, just because they're saying it, look, look at, it goes back to certain le- things like levels. Everybody who screams level, 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 levels, you got to buy a bubble level, sells them. Okay. There's ways to set your rifle up where you can feel that difference for you, where you know when you're behind the rifle and it's in the shoulder pocket this way, you're right. If you have to use a level, well, that's a clue to tell you, you need to change your setup. To fit you better. I mean, again, it goes back to the seat in your car. You, you sit in the car and, and it's your wife's car and you go, okay, well, and, and actually I'm going to go back from your wife's car. Forget your wife's car. It's your rental car. You get in a rental car. Are you going to leave it the way the guy before used it? No, you're going to change it for you. Who cares how you bring it back? I'm going to move every seat and every mirror. And if the airbag goes off and kills you because Frank was in it before you, sorry, dude, I'm short. I pulled the seat up. You know, well, the next guy's going to move the seat back. You know, the mirror's going to come in, out, whatever. So that's what you need to do with this stuff. And constantly look at that. Get more than one opinion. I'm not trying to say my opinion's the best. I'm a tool in the toolbox, man. Nothing else. I'm going to probably blame you and the fundamentals before I'm going to blame some piece of equipment. But I'll look at it. I'm not going to immediately close mind on that. All I'm saying is... This isn't black and white to the degree in which it reads. And it's funny because that same thread, there's this guy who who it's just pouring out of his, it, it, it were, I shouldn't say it that way. It's oozing out of his pores that I'm not a G7 advocate, that I don't just automatically say, yes, that's what you have to use. He, he, he responded to me in that one thread got at least four times like are you saying are you saying you just do um, are you saying you just do yes I'm saying that's what I do I usually default to g1 first and then start playing around and you know looking at it in in a different way of course if I'm using applied ballistics I use g7 he kind of adds a little extra weight to it and it works better for his software but that doesn't mean I won't try a g1 and to be perfectly honest, I kind of know the G1 numbers better than the G7. I can kind of, I can, you know, trip my way through a round I don't know what a G1 value. I can get myself a starting point and know I'm off, but get me there if I had to. I don't really know. I don't have the G7 numbers memorized. But at the same time, G1's been working for me. A lot of the software I use is not G dependent. So I, I default to that first. When I do check it in other software that's out that is G dependent, well, then I try to true it for, uh, you know, my system. To be honest, like with JBMs and stuff like that, when I use and I use JBM a ton, 
I default to the Sierra banded BCs if I can. If they have banded BCs from Sierra, that's my first choice, you know, before any of the others. Other than Lapua stuff with the CD, the uh, Doppler data, well then, you know, for Lapua, if you're going to use Lapua's either software or their numbers, you go to their CD data because it's Doppler. Hornaday, CD data, it's Doppler. You go to that stuff first. But everybody, you know, tons and tons of threads and going back to that G1, G7 ramp. Well, wait a minute. You know, what's Berger's new number? What's Hornaday's new number? This was, you know, 0.719. Now it's 0.72. Now it's point that what's, well, true it for you, you know, get you in a starting point and then go from there. That's, that's kind of where I'm getting with this. We had a couple really good questions uh, that are going to have to be standalone podcasts. Uh, somebody's asking about win with 22s and things like that. Uh, same guy, um, Bob K. Uh, he was asking about torque tools and recommendations. Borkas are great. I use Borkas all the time. I use Fix-It fix Sticks a lot now. I carry a ton of the Fix-It Sticks. That's a tongue twister. Fix-It stick. fix it Sticks. Um, I dig the Fix-It Sticks limiters. I think they work really good. But a Bork is a good one, a fix-it stick, you know, wheelers, all that stuff. I use them all. Um, you know, the, he's asking about the, the the wind, and that's a wind is a whole nother thing. Another one, Doughboy on Sniper's Hide was asking about high angle. Definitely can get into some high angle talk. Again, it's going to be another one. Uh, for some of this exterior ballistic stuff, if you want a really good in-depth resource and you got some time to read some stuff, Sierra's got awesome almost an encyclopedia of exterior ballistics on their website. I don't see too many people mention it, but I'm constantly referencing the Sierra data on their website. So I'll go and say, oh, gee, you know, there's even histories of BCs and going back to the 1800s and how things were done. You know, back then they used to have like a weighted block and they would shoot a bullet into a weighted block on string. And how far the block moved was, you know, how you got your velocities and things like that. Sierra talks about that stuff. Look up Sierra in exterior ballistics. It's it's a manual of, of things. And I think they do a really good job. It does dig deep. It does get down into the weeds. It can get hyper-technical. But it's a great resource. And I think they do a really good job. So don't overlook Sierra's contribution to this stuff in terms of exterior ballistics. Another throwback to previous podcasts as well um, in terms of barrel breaking. Somebody was asking on Sniper's Hide about the ammunition that you use to break in a barrel. Well, you heard what I said about it. Uh, we also posted on that same thread the stuff with Gail McMillan. And I think I'm going to read what Gail McMillan said. This is from July 29th, 1997, Gail McMillan, okay? And somebody's asking about barrel break-in and the whole thing back in 1997. And he said, this is total hogwash. It all got started when a barrel maker that I know started putting break-in instructions in the box with each barrel he shipped a few years ago. I asked him how he figured it would help, and his reply was, if they shoot 100 rounds breaking in the barrel, that's total life is 3,000 rounds, and I make 1,000 barrels a year, just figure how many more barrels I will get to make. He had a point, it definitely will shorten the barrel life. I've been a barrel maker a fair amount of time, and my barrels have set and, re and reset bench rest world records so many times, I quit keeping track. At one time, they held seven, 
records at one time. High power silhouette, small bore national, and world records. And my instructions were to clean as often as possible, preferably every 10 rounds, which is kind of crazy. I, I inspect every barrel taken off and every new barrel before it's shipped with a borescope. And I will tell you that I see far more barrels ruined by cleaning rods than I see worn out from normal wear and tear. Then why clean seven every 10 rounds? I am even reading about people recommending breaking in pistols as if it will help your shooting ability. So that's what Gail McMillan had to say. He's saying it was a scam and it was designed to sell more barrels. And that's what a barrel maker did. I don't advocate cleaning every 10 rounds. That's like an old wives tale bench rest thing. There actually have been guys in bench rest doing well with 200 plus uh, rounds through the barrel without cleaning it. So don't get all crazy that you got to clean that often. That's not quite how it works. But it, it, it definitely goes back to what we were talking about. And we're having these great, robust discussions about this stuff. We're putting it out in the public air. We're trying to educate everybody and say, hey, look, I know there's a lot of this. I mean, it's I tell people in my class, precision rifle shooting or shooting in general, not not just us, but shooting in general is the longest running game of telephone. Grew up in, in, in Connecticut, New York edge there, probably within 30 minutes, Bridgeport. We had Wonderama, and that was a New York thing. Wonderama was this like Sunday morning kids thing. They had a clown and the whole thing. And they used to play telephone where they had, you know, like 25 kids and their parents, and they would whisper in the first parent's ear, and then it would have to go through all 25 people, and then the last kid would tell the, the host what he was told. And it was never what it started. You know what I mean? It's, you know, your mother looks great today. And the next thing you know, your mother's on the corner of Colfax selling her body. That's kind of how the, the, the Wonderama thing works. So one minute, your mother's a really nice woman. The next minute, she's a hooker. And, and that's how the game of telephone works. Well, shooting is exactly that. It's a game of telephone. We're sitting here in... I'll tell you something and then it'll get changed and morphed. And Frank said, and how we, we talk about it in the instructor world is 80, 40, 20. I'm only capable of relaying about 80% of my knowledge over to you guys right now. You're going to absorb 40% of it. And when it comes to the retelling, you're only going to get 20% of that right. So there's the 80, 40, 20 situation going on. And that's sort of what's happening. So what I try to do is strip away the game of telephone and bring it back to the first thing that says your mother's a really nice woman, you know? And that's kind of what we're trying to do here with this podcast. We're trying to educate everybody. A few people said, um, yeah, you should be paying us for it. Yeah, you should. <laughs> uh, you know, not to be silly with it, but we do charge for this stuff. This is class, you know? This is what I do in class. And, uh, you know, speaking of our March class is full for Mile High Detachment, but we do have May opened up. We got some people signed up. And then I'm going to do an August one. Alaska is almost all full. If you guys want to take a class that's like bucket list and have a blast, if you can get in the July, like the one and two in Alaska. If you're capable of doing that, it's worth it. But uh, mile high detachment classes are filling up. Like I said March is full. We should be pretty good there. Uh, Mike and I are going to take over the March class for Mile High, it looks like. Then we're going to go and do May and August. I'll probably do another one October-ish before the end of the season. So 
We're just kind of getting going with the mile high. They also have LE classes for you guys um, that you can jump into. If any of our LE people that are out there listening, get educated. So much has changed. Uh, I I mean, I don't want to throw anybody under a bus or anything. I, I really could in a lot of ways, but I'll just say to you LE guys, you can use a better kind of level of people to help you out. Um, you know, they all, everybody's good meaning. Everybody really digs all this stuff. I'm not saying, you know, it's malicious in any way, but there are some things that are getting old wives tales that keep getting repeated. They're, they're steering you down that same incestuous, you know, inbred path. And I think you can learn a lot coming to a modern precision rifle class. You know, we're not doing calculators on the line. We're not doing a lot of these old school things. We're, we're not talking about stuff that was taught in, in you know, the, the, the 82, the 94 manuals from the Army. We're not repeating that things because they're not right. I mean, I have them here. I have all the manuals. I, I went to sniper school in the military. I know what they taught. You know, a lot of it's not right. A lot of it doesn't apply today. It, it's a case of... Hey, Private Schmuckatelli's a great guy. He just came back from combat and whacked somebody. He's the new instructor. And then, you know, he, he may want to throw his spin on it or he's repeating what the sergeant told him ahead of time. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not a professional structor level thing. It's really like today you're the new instructor and, and some do well. I'm not saying everybody's that way. I'm not trying to put down on it. But I'm just saying things have changed. We have progressed. You need to keep your pulse on and just not repeating. Now, there are some things like, you know, employment that you can say, okay, this is how you have to do it because as LE people, you have to go and talk in front of a board. But what I'm talking about is not so much employment. We do get into a a tiny bit of that, you know, tripod type stuff and positional type stuff falls into that employment sort of category. I'm talking marksmanship. I'm talking fundamentals. I'm talking understanding your equipment to the degree where you know when something starts to go wrong. You know whether it's going to be good or bad. There's there's confidence in your equipment. There's confidence in your skill set. And that confidence translates. Believe me, I, I worked with a, a guy, and he might be listening, and he can back this up, that you know he, he had a little bit of confidence issue. And when I came out to work with him, his group was an inch low and a half inch to the left of center from his one inch dot. So he was off a a minute low and was almost three quarters of a minute to the side. Okay, I see what's going on. I got you. I worked with him for like four hours, if that. At the end, I said, okay, before you put your stuff up, check your group. He did. He was dead center. Here's the trick. We didn't touch his scope. I'm going to say that again. We didn't touch his scope. His confidence gave him a minute and three quarter shift in his zero because he was off in body position. He was off in a bunch of things. His head was out of the game. And by putting his head back into the game, by reestablishing that confidence, he was centered. We never had to readjust his zero, but his zero was off because we are the biggest thing. That's why I say fundamental Frank here, bringing you the latest hits. So think about that for classes. Think about mile high detachment, both civilian and law enforcement. You can get a hold of sniper's high training. We do it up in Alaska. We do it over. I don't think I'm going to be in New York this year. Uh, I do do a class there, and, and I think they're actually going to Tennessee. Um, so there, there, there won't be that happening. 
as it is, my schedule's pretty damn full. I got a lot going on training-wise. Um, Alaska's blown up huge. We've actually added. I think I'm on like instead of two and two, we're at like three and three. It, it, it's a heck of a lot more people, almost almost 40 more this year. And, and like I said, they're already almost full. So if you want to do a bucket list class in Alaska, I mean, it's great. Check July for that. Mark Taylor at Wiggy Alaska is your point of contact. Wiggy's in Anchorage. Get a hold of Mark. Um, I think June is full. So it would really just be the July if they're opening. And if you're coming from the lower 48, I recommend doing the back-to-back, the, the, the two-day and two-day PR1 and 2. So that way you got four days of classes to fill in and make a, make a trip out of it. There's fishing up there. There's all kinds of stuff. The sun doesn't go down till three in the morning, four in the morning, and comes back up at six. It's always six o'clock in Alaska. Um, you know, it, it's it's a cool thing. We're on the range shooting, and and a, and a freaking moose and a calf will walk out in the middle of the range. Cease fire. We got a moose on the line. You know that kind of stuff. You go by, and every morning there's five of them over here, and. You know, the family can go check up Denali. They can ride the railroad and do what they have to do. But um, I definitely recommend you get a class. Solidify your fundamentals. Solidify your foundation. Get a good base established in the ballistics and understand these things we're talking about. Then you can begin to go down the road to, you know, competition and things like that. Use that competition to validate your training Use, you know, these tools that are available to make yourself a more well-rounded, better shooter. And don't take the internet book smart, hey, I read this in the book guy. You want to talk to the people who are out there shooting it. I mean, we got a ton of repeat uh, students that come back all over the place, Uh, whether it's in the New York, in the Colorado, in the Alaska classes. Uh, You know, some of the, the rifles only ones I know were always, we had repeat people all the time there. So these people are getting a benefit out of it. It's it's some of the best money you'll spend. We we don't charge a ton. We 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 sort of are budget based with people, and and I'm not out there sticking them up. I'm making sure it's it's fair for everybody. So if you got that vacation time, if you have that ability to take a class, uh, we do here in Colorado. They're three day classes. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday is how I have them. Get here late Thursday night. We'll meet at Mile High around four o'clock. The range is 15 minutes from the uh, hotels. We'll, we'll all get together and camp out on the range. We'll, we'll, we'll do some classroom out there. I'll set up a, a, a projector on the line um, against the Connex, and, and, and we'll have some a little bit of everything, practical plus theory. If you got a question, something comes up, hey, man, I'm not sure I buy it. I'm not sure I get this. Come out, we'll try it. That's how we always did this stuff. You know, there's always a bit of trial and error. We never said this was the definitive way of doing anything. This might be a more universally better way of doing something, but nobody's saying it's a definitive way of doing something because we're all different size, shape, weight, style, whatever wise, shooting different equipment, different, you know, scope, rifle, ammo combinations. Yes, there are some, some established norms that we work around. But the the idea is to focus on you, the shooter. I'm not going to sit there and say, here's the range. There's the targets. This is the wind. Have fun. See you in a couple hours. I don't use my phone on the line. I put it away in the car. I'm there for you the entire time. I'm not there playing around saying, 
hey, I got to go make some work calls. I got to go charge these people too much money. So give me some time to, to pad a bill and, and you guys just have fun. It's, it's not a come with Frank and shoot and let's be buddies. It's Frank's there to teach you something. I'm actually instructing. You know, I'm actually looking at you, John, Bill, Bob, whatever, and saying, this is what you're doing wrong. If you fix this, there is a little bit of tear down. There is a little bit of build back up. You will see some things move. You'll see things adjust. Maybe we're moving your scope because you're now straight back behind the rifle. Maybe, you know, we're adjusting your zero because you're now pressing the trigger correctly and we're getting that trigger slap out of your zero because that stuff all goes into your zero, you know? So as we fix and adjust and move, you know, it's kind of just like rotating the clock a little bit where, you, where you're, you're off a little bit, the clock's not sitting straight, and we're going to rotate you back. And, and that's what we're looking to do. Mile High Detachment, Mark Taylor at Wiggy, Alaska. The one other training opportunity I want to talk about is June 2nd Sniper's Hide Team Challenge. This is the opportunity you're looking for to shoot a field match that will incorporate all these skills we're talking about, multiple moving targets, finding your targets in the terrain and things like that have real-world application, whether it's military, law enforcement, or hunting. There's real-world applications involved in this course of fire. But what we're going to do is the day before, we're going to open up a section of the range and we're going to go admin and teach you how to shoot the match. We're going to show you how to engage the obstacles, how to do a barricade. We'll have manufacturers there. We'll have guys that say, this is how you use our tripod the right way. This is how you use a sling to your advantage. And we'll bring those people out there for you so you can go and kind of think of it as a baseball fantasy camp, okay? I want you to come in, ask questions, learn in a light, easy atmosphere, no stress, no clock, none of this stuff. Then on Saturday and half day Sunday, shoot the team challenge. You got to carry all your equipment. You got to move through up the hills, down the hills, around the hills, you know, whatever the case may be. Find it, range it, engage it. Find it, range it, engage it. That's what we're looking at with you guys, okay? That's the type of match that we're putting on June 2nd up in Colville, Washington. Beautiful scenery. It's been great weather up there. Carl Taylor up there, the other Sergeant Taylor, puts on a hell of a show. We're going to have the team challenge. It'll be part of that Rifleman's Team Challenge series that goes up there. If you need the points and you're in the Northwest, you can do that. But you don't need to belong to anything. Come on up. And here's the other thing. Bring your kids. I'm going to probably shoot again with another kid, whether it's Mary Beth or somebody else. I don't care. But I want to shoot with a kid. Okay? The team challenge. Bring your kid. Learn in a nice, relaxed atmosphere. No drama. Very few jerseys. All that stuff. But there is going to be some top shooting people who are not pretentious, who are not there out for themselves. There's nothing on the line. It's it's just to go out and have fun. You know, we'll do the prizes. Last year we gave them cash back in the whole thing. But I want new shooters to come out. I want them to bring junior shooters or beginning shooters. I want them to be able to come through and see what it takes to shoot a match. 
will have a little bit of both, a little bit of that obstacle barricade speed stuff and a little bit of the field stuff, actually a lot more field stuff, but we're going to encompass everything. You're going to be shooting all these same positions, just a lot of them will be more problem solving, natural terrain where you have to use this log to find that loophole to identify that target and engage it just like you would if you were in the field hunting in the real world. It, it, it's it's definitely going to be an experience for you guys, and I highly recommend. We'll be putting more details up on Sniper's Hide. You'll be able to register through InMotion Targets and Carl Taylor. Uh, we'll do all the same stuff we did last year, but we're adding that extra day of, up front as sort of a fantasy camp so you can learn how to do this. Definitely recommend it. Validate your training. But here's the other thing. Get some training in the fundamentals. Understand you, you can do the, 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 the same thing over and over again wrong, but get better. You can be a really good, bad shooter out there by, by learning you know, how to adapt to your errors. But if you start out with a solid foundation, well, then you get that much better, that much quicker under that many more different conditions. Because one of the problems is, is guys learn to be really good in the prone or really good off a bench. And they're, you know, they're quarter minute shooters. They got their hand loads down. They got their trigger down to eight ounces. They're, you know, set up. They're locked in. They're, they're, they're on it. Press that trigger. Boom. Quarter minute group. Get them off their belly. Get them in a situation that they don't control. They fall apart. See it all the time. That's why those guys don't go to the matches. Okay. That's why those guys don't get training. Because they, they're, they're, they're just self-gratifying. My quarter-inch group is good enough off the bench. My quarter-inch group is good enough off the bench. Well, if that makes you happy, absolutely. That's what you do. But if you want to be a rifleman, if you want to be a well-rounded marksman, you got to learn to be able to do this from a variety of conditions, under a variety of positions. And you'll find you'll progress quicker, you'll shoot better, farther, faster, uh, Mark tells us uh, up there in Alaska, it's uh, predictable, repeatable, accuracy, and precision. That's our goal. Predictable, repeatable, accuracy, and precision. All right, man. This has been the Everyday Sniper Podcast. You got Fundamental Frank here. We'll be looking forward to getting back with Mike. God, he was so busy at Mile High on Friday. I went in there. They were packed. So you have to understand coming back off a shot. It's just so busy with Mike. I know he was out yesterday in that cold and snow. Good on him. Better man than me. I wasn't out there. Uh, I, I had a hard enough time shoveling here. I was like, ooh, it's cold. My, my slippers on. I, I was shoveling in my Ugg slippers, man. I, when, when I'm not on the range, I wear slippers all the time. Even shoveling snow, Uggs. So anyway, Mike, good job out there on that. All you guys, thank you for the feedback. Thank you for the praise. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the questions. Keep them coming. Uh, we got a list. We're going to do these bigger episodes where we address all you know the, these focused questions, reading the wind, high angle shooting. You know, We're going to get Adam in and talk a little reloading. We're going to get the gunsmiths in to talk some custom stuff. But I want you to understand, I know you guys are looking. I know you guys are verifying. And I know you guys are... are are really been great with the information that's coming across. So a sincere thank you from me. And I know Mike feels the same way. I get the text from him like, man, this thing is blowing up big. It is. And that's all because of you listeners out there. So thank you from the Everyday Sniper. 
Frank from Sniper's Hide, go over to the Sniper's Hide forum. It's busy again, man. It's I'm loving it on there, you know, a bunch of times a day. You can reach me directly. Call Mike at Mile High. Uh, he says people have been calling him, asking him. Uh, P.S. I did look at that new Leopold, the Mark V. I was impressed. I digged it. Uh, so if you want to talk about that, give Mike a call. He's got him sitting there on the shelf. Thank you and have a great one.